Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Think back to the last time you saw the doctor. Did it seem as though the doc spent more time looking at the computer screen than looking at you? It's not your imagination, and many docs aren't happy about it. Electronic medical records are supposed to be more efficient than the dusty old paper file system, and in many ways they are. But there is growing concern that digital record systems are wrecking patient relationships. Many healthcare providers complain they've become slaves to the screen, leaving less time for patients. Some would rather retire than just click, click, click all day long. Dr. Anthony DiGiorgio is a neurosurgeon at the University of California, San Francisco Health. He investigated just how much time doctors in their residency program spend using the EMR system in each shift. And he wrote about that in an article entitled Death by 10,000 Clicks. Well, that kind of tells you something about a system intended to improve the quality of care, but instead seems to be a mixture of success and failure. Well, I think there are a lot of benefits. And so I don't want our article is very critical of EMR, but I do want to acknowledge there are a lot of benefits and efficiencies that have been gained with EMR. For example, EMRs are very good at collecting and displaying data that used to be pretty disparate back in paper charts. So laboratory results that may be over different labs uh, can now be consolidated in one place. Imaging results for neurosurgeons, that's a very salient issue. We don't have to go hunting down in the radiology department to find those old plastic films that they used to hang up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Those are now collaborated and displayed, uh, and we can track them over time. So it's much easier to collect and display information with EHRs. We have a long way to go uh, because of a lot of technology and privacy concerns, the interoperability ability and and transition between uh, different systems isn't quite where I think people envisioned it uh, when EMRs are first being rolled out. For example, uh, we're one of the few industries that still uses compact discs because in order to transmit images, Hmm. patients typically have to burn their images on a compact disc, bring them to my office. We upload them to our central server so that we can then have have them stored and have a record of them. But then if that patient were to transition their care somewhere else, they would again need to burn those images on a compact disc because we haven't really figured out a good, secure cloud-based storage system. So, But in in the aggregate, EMRs are much better for displaying and aggregating uh, information. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to get you there. So the downside is uh, it's sucking up a lot of time for physicians and uh, nurse practitioners and nurses, everybody, right? Yes. um, And and part of it is that uh, one of the promises for EMRs was to be more efficient with capturing billing and coding charges. And they've really turned into systems that have specialized in that. So the large hospital systems purchase EMRs uh, based not on their physician or user friendliness, but based on their ability to capture bills and codes and um, and comply with the various other regulations that have come down from CMS uh, regarding Medicare. Um, so the EMRs have really uh, shifted their functionality not towards patient care, not towards uh, end user efficiency, but more towards capturing bills, billing and coding. So your study took a look at the uh, doctors in training, the residents in your hospital, and your neurosurgery program. And what did you find? 
Yeah, so it, it was pretty interesting. It, it was spurred on because I was a resident not that long ago, and I remember we had shifted to EMRs, and, and I really felt like I was tethered and bogged down to the computer whenever I was on call. Really couldn't get away, couldn't spend adequate time with patients, couldn't spend adequate time scrubbing in cases. We we found out that we were able to actually pull the uh, the audit logs from our EMR and see when residents were logging on and logging off, and when they were actually using the mouse and keyboard and what part of the chart they were in when they were doing that. Uh, and so the results were pretty staggering. We looked at their overnight call shift. Our residents take call in-house, which means they're in the hospital from 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. The accrediting agency for that tracks resident duty hours allows for a ex few extra hours on either end of that for patient continuity tasks. So we actually looked at a 28-hour uh, call period and found that they were logged into the computer for about 20 of those hours. And they're actively using the mouse or the keyboard within the EMR for about nine of those hours. And I went to the residents and said, you know, these numbers are, are pretty drastic. Does this make sense? And, and they said, absolutely. They feel like they're literally pinned down to the computer when they're on call. And I am reading uh, the comments below your article that was published in MedPage today. Uh, and, you know, you hit a hot button. There, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of clinicians who aren't in love with this process and think it is harming the quality of care. What's your sense of that? Yeah, I, I really think it does. Um, and, and you hear it from physicians, you hear it from patients, right? The patient goes to the doctor and they say, my doctor's facing the computer screen the whole time. They're not looking at me in the eye and talking to me. And the reason that is, is that each patient requires a certain amount of time on the computer to complete uh, patient care. There's a famous study. We're not the first study that's looked at this. There was a pretty famous one a few years back that looked at the ambulatory care setting, so the outpatient uh, mm -hmm. care setting, and found that for every hour of face-to-face -face time, a physician spent two hours on the computer. So I think this really is a detriment to care. I think patients and physicians both feel it. Um, you know, like I said, we're not the first study to look at this. There's been plenty of studies that have shown that that increased EMR use is associated with high rates of burnout. It's associated with low physician satisfaction with work, um, and it's associated with worse patient care. Yeah, in fact, I saw in the comments beneath your your uh, opinion piece uh, a couple of doctors saying uh, this is enough to drive me away, or it did drive me away. So that's pretty significant. Tell me more about what type of information. How much time does it take to generate my notes? Uh, it really depends. You know, there's people that are, have different levels of uh, comfort with the EMR, and there are some shortcuts that that we can find that people will use. Um, but even people that are really facile and good with computers uh, spend a lot of time on, on the EHR. Um, you know, I, I've consider myself very computer savvy. I've had a computer since I can remember, but I get incredibly frustrated. So um, the, the information that we're putting into the computer, you know, there's our clinical note and the clinical note I think is a little bit easier because I'm, I'm a quicker typer than I am at handwriting. So it's nice and easy to put in a clinical note. Uh, but the problem comes in that that billing and coding requires a lot of extra information in a clinical note that I may not otherwise put there. Um, and so in order to bill for certain levels of physician fees for that note, uh, there has to be a certain amount of information in there that may that many physicians consider, consider extraneous. Um, mm -hmm. And as most of us are hospital employees now, uh, the hospital collects our physician fees. And so they want us to maximize the, the billing on that. So there, if we don't maximize our billing, we're going to get emails from administrators saying, hey, why didn't you put this information in there? And then on top of that, the hospital billing is also based on our notes. So in, in order for the hospital to maximize their billing for on the inpatient side, it's done with what's called a DRG system. 
And the sicker the patients seem on the DRG system, the more the hospital can bill. So again, if we don't use specific words in our notes to denote how sick those patients are, the hospital will email us and say, hey, did you mean to see it's to say this in your note that patient has X condition? Uh, because if so, we can up our billing. And so you know, in order to prevent ourselves from getting those emails and being tied back down to the computer, physicians will really just overload their note with all the information they can see. Yeah, there was a quote uh, from one of the uh, commenters beneath your article. It's all about reimbursement, document, 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 or even if you're lying and you've never looked at the patient's ears, nose or throat or palpated all their lymph nodes. So, yeah, there are people out there complaining about what they're being asked to do. How much time does this uh, take physicians after their work day? Do they take work home and complete it there? Yeah, there, there have been plenty of studies that show that it's what's called pajama time, um, where physicians will take their work home with them and, and complete it. Um, my wife is an OBGYN. Routinely, she's you know brings her laptop home and is, is finishing her clinic notes uh, at six, seven, eight o'clock at night, or, or waiting until the kids have gone to bed to do them. Um, and so a lot of this is done at home. There is one uh, study published looking at residents uh, that found that about a third of the general surgery residents, about a third of their time uh, on the EMR, was actually done outside of, of what we consider normal working hours. I can just hear some of you thinking, boo-hoo, a highly paid doctor has to work a little harder. Well, just wait until you hear why Dr. Anthony DiGiorgio says these electronic records are driving some docs to an early retirement and how that adds to a looming physician shortage we'll all face in the future. Plus, how some hospitals are using EMRs to game the system and juice revenue. We have lots more to come in our look at electronic medical records, but if you have to run, you can always catch up with the podcast of the show. It's on all the major services or watch the video version of this interview at the Health Call website, healthcall.live. Lots more to come. Stay tuned. It's just ahead on the Health Call Radio Hour right here on WoWo. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back to our look at death by 10,000 clicks, how electronic health records can be a headache for healthcare providers. Now, to be fair, data captured with each procedure and doctor visit does have benefits. You know the jokes about doctors and bad handwriting, right? Well, that's not a problem anymore. Notes about your exam, prescription history, and such are no longer trapped in some dusty old file folder. The mountains of health data can now be analyzed by researchers to spot trends or identify what is an effective treatment. But it can also be depersonalized and then sold. Data hacks have exposed health details to God only knows who. And then there's the issue of physician burnout. Neurosurgeon Anthony DiGiorgio told me his team analyzed how doctors training in the UCSF Health Neurosurgery Program use EHRs and revealed inefficient design that forces many doctors to click themselves crazy. One doctor posting comments about this problem claims to have spent over $100,000 of her own personal time entering data. $100,000? Really? Well, DiGiorgio says... That seems like a lowball. A lowball. Oh, yeah. I mean, physician time is, you know, I don't want to uh, kind of tout ourselves too much, but physician time is expensive, right? And so right. for us to be doing these menial documentations, data entry tasks um, at our hourly rate it is probably not an efficient use of resources. 
So that has led to more organizations hiring scribes or someone to do this with you. Uh, what's is that a good idea? I think scribes are a good, a great stopgap, and there's been some studies showing that that scribes will actually pay for themselves because all these these things that increase your your billable um, RVUs uh, to the hospital and your DRGs will actually be better captured by scribes who are specifically trained to do that. Um, however, that doesn't fix the underlying problem because there is such an incentive structure uh, from Medicare for, for hospitals and physicians to document that. So yes, scribes are great, um, but they're just a bandage over the, the underlying problem. One of the complaints I've read is uh, primary care physicians. So this really is a driving more of these private uh, primary care physicians out of private practice and selling the practice to a big organization because they don't want to have to support the IT and, and the licensing of these systems. Is, is that what you're seeing in the real world? Yeah, I mean, th these are expensive systems, right? So a lot of it, and, and they're very consolidated. So the, there's a few big vendors that, that do these EMR systems. They're very expensive. And that lack of interoperability really makes it difficult that if you are a small private practice, um, you either have to pay to get on the license of the big hospital nearby and uh, take, take advantage of their economies of scale, or you have to purchase it on your own, which is extraordinary, and then maintain on your own, extraordinarily expensive. And then even if you have the same system, there's still not full interoperability with the hospital down the street um, on the medical records. And especially if you have your own system, there's not going to be interoperability. So if a patient goes, gets admitted, and then comes back to your office, you're not going to have access to all those records right away. It is. And, and you know, in addition to complying with all those quality metrics, um, and, you know, maximizing your billing, again, hospitals have teams and teams of people that are, are focused on that. And so there's really, they do take advantage of those economies of scale because because of all these regulations. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get that. So if I just want to be Marcus Welby and have a small family practice, this this is a disincentive. It is. Absolutely, it is. And, and you know, in addition to complying with all those quality metrics um, and, you know, maximizing your billing, again, hospitals have teams and teams of people that are, are focused on that. And so there's really they do take advantage of those economies of scale because of all these regulations. Let's talk about uh, where this goes. If there were two or three things that you would suggest, kind of what's the what's the fix? Um, I think the big fix, uh, I'm a free market guy, and I think really coming from the bottom up is the way to encourage more competition in the space to get more user-friendly, uh, more interoperable uh, EHRs. So <clears throat> a couple of regulations that would lead to that is one, um, mandating more interoperability. You know, I think that, that we're not taking more advantage of cloud-based computing and the blockchain for patient data. Patients should own their own data, be able to take it from provider to provider and have EMRs that sim seamlessly integrate with that. You know, you, I have an app on my phone that aggregates all my banking data together. And so why can't they be done with healthcare data using a blockchain to ensure it's secure? Once you do that, then you get real, rid of a lot of those barriers to entry. So you have more competition in the space and you can get more EHRs coming in, competing with one another, and then really allowing the market to let the ones that uh, that are the cream of the crop kind of rise to the top. Let's talk about the burnout factor. You know, I keep reading that we're facing a crisis that we're going to run into, you know, all of us old guys. Uh, my utilization of healthcare is going to increase just at the time when a lot of docs are retiring. Are you seeing that as a big threat? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and there's something that's called the labor productivity curve. And if you haven't heard of it, it's, it's uh, released by the Department of Labor Statistics um, every f few years or so. And it measures you know, how many uh, humans it requires to have an output of X in a certain industry, you know, how many cars, et cetera, et cetera. And most industries get more efficient, right? It takes fewer people to farm your food and produce your TVs. And healthcare is the exact opposite. It's taking more and more people to treat the same number of patients over time. So as we get an aging population, uh, and doctors dropping out because of burnout, you're going to uh, you're going to really face a shortage of physicians um, because you are requiring more and more people to treat 
the same amount of patients. Um, and part of that is the growth of this administrative state. As I mentioned, all these quality metrics, all these DRGs, all this billing requires more administrators to meet all these metrics. Um, but part of it is that just, you know, physicians are getting torn away from patient care. We're doing more on the computer. And, and I see it, you know, just for seeing one patient, I spend a lot more time clicking and going through the computer than I do actually treating that patient. I think with an efficient system, I mean, I could double or triple the amount of patients that I actually care for um, mm -hmm. rather than just being stuck on a computer filling out checkboxes. So how do I know if my neurosurgeon, if I'm in going in for a procedure, is at the top of their game? <laughs> That's tough. Um, so uh, word of mouth is always a good thing. Going back to quality metrics, I wouldn't trust those at all. You know, the quality metrics. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the quality metrics is really more, you know, how you game the system rather than uh, uh, how you are as a surgeon. For example, one of the quality metrics uh, that we get judged on is called our HCAP scores, which is the patient satisfaction score. So, you know, you go to the doctor, you get that mm -hmm. survey. After mm -hmm. you see the doctor, 90% uh, of people toss the survey out, never fill it out. The ones that do fill it out, you usually have a chip on their shoulder. Um, and, and so it's really not representative of your, there was actually a, a really interesting study that showed that, that uh, patients that had higher satisfaction with their doctors actually had shorter lifespans. Um, because their doctors may be, you know, just placating them or not giving them the, the, the real treatment they need. Um, and, and so I wouldn't trust your, your satisfaction scores, your quality metrics. Uh, the CMS star ratings are not great. <clears throat> and then just an, an, you know, another quick example is uh, the CMS star ratings uh, and quality metrics do tend to punish safety net hospitals and hospitals that care for more disadvantaged patients a bit more. Uh, and a lot of it is resource allocation. We don't we can't afford a lot of those administrators to sort of massage those numbers, to email the doctors, to remind them to upcode a lot of their diagnoses to make sure that your quality metrics uh, are better. So I think the star ratings and quality metrics are not a good not a good judge of who's a good neurosurgeon. So my takeaway from all of this is it seems like electronic medical or health record systems are good and bad in their current form. Dr. DiGiorgio sees a role for artificial intelligence in the future. AI could be used to streamline repetitive data entry chores, improving accuracy and reducing pajama time for the doctors. Did you catch his mention of blockchain technology? Yeah, that's interesting. Instead of storing health records in privately owned software, saving them out on the blockchain could create a completely portable digital medical record that you own and you control. Doctors or hospitals anywhere could access your data, but only if you give your password. Lots of people are working on that idea, and it sure makes sense to me. Hey, we're out of time, so I hope you will visit the Health Call website. That's healthcall.live. Join our mailing list to receive a weekly preview of what we're covering on this show. And while you're there, use the contact form. Leave a comment or suggestion. I love hearing from you. Read every message, and you will always get a reply. Thanks for spending time with us on the Health Call Radio Hour. We will see you again next weekend. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts, or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour.
podcast by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.